Ready. This is your Professor Debbie. Welcome to True Crime University, where we have intellectual discussions about crime. This is a class for mature audiences with mature language and subject matter. Our purpose is to learn about criminals, not glorify them. And my aim, as always, is education. All of the information I have is from public sources. Hello, class. How's everybody? It's snowing here today. It's like 16 degrees, which is ridiculous because it's the end of March. And after that weather report that I'm sure nobody cares about, let's get into the show. First, I'd like to give a huge thank you to Carrie from Maryland. She gave me a huge mungus donation through PayPal. Yes, I just said huge mungus. Yeah, I make up my own words. And huge mungus is one. As you probably guessed, it's a combination of huge and humongous. And when you combine the two, I like to think that it's better than either word on its own. And you too can be like Carrie if you just type in my email address, which is in the show notes, into PayPal. You can throw me a few bucks and it goes towards this month I bought the new audio editor, which I mentioned. And if you want to hear my chat, I'll just give you a little preview of that. I saw a video on YouTube the other day that irked me, and it has to do with true crime content creators supposedly making money off of other people's misery. And, of course, I had something to say about that, and I left a comment to that effect. But I'm not going to take up time here complaining about that. If you want to hear me complain about that and other things, just listen to the chat when we're done with this. So speaking of huge humongous things, this case is huge. And every minute of the trial is on YouTube. And I listen to every single minute of it. Now, this case has been on my radar for a while. A crime happened in July of last year, 2021. This little entitled asshole went to trial back in January of this year. And he was recent, like two weeks ago, he was sentenced. When I spot a case that's kind of making its way through the system, I keep an eye on it. And you know I like to wait till it goes to sentencing so that I can give you the whole story. I really like the sentencing, not only to find out what happens to the person, but to hear the victim impact statements, which are very important. So there's a whole lot of audio in this case because I want everybody to hear in these people's own words. And there are a lot of characters in this story, but I want you to hear in their own words how the story unfolds. So I'm going to talk some, then I'm going to play some audio, and we're going to hear from a lot of these characters, plus the defense attorney, prosecutor, and some experts so that we can hear the whole story in everybody's words, kind of like in as close to real time as I can get And I think that will be most effective in bringing this story to life. This is a very, very sad story. I mean, I guess they all are in in a way. But this one really hit me because we're going to hear more about the victims. I'll tell you about them. This is not a stereotype, but they were, everybody says, 
about how wonderful they are. They were. And when you hear the reason that they were murdered, you're going to be like, what the fuck? That is the stupidest reason. Well, not that there's really any good reason to kill somebody, but this was a very shitty, selfish reason. In this case, if you're like me, if you were around from the beginning last year, is so much like Joel Guy Jr. Remember that big, overgrown, entitled brat who killed and dismembered his parents? His motive was money. He wanted their life insurance. This dude had kind of a more bizarre motive, but he's very similar to Joel Guy in his actions and what he did and such. So today's case takes place in the state of Wisconsin. This is actually our second visit to Wisconsin. The first time we went there was with the murder of little Lisa French back in. That was a Halloween case because her murder happened on Halloween. The town is Windsor, which is a suburb of Madison, the capital of Wisconsin. And our victims are Bart and Krista Holderson. So let's talk about them. According to his dad, Blake, Bart grew up in kind of a country setting, good kid, got good grades, and his dad said, quote, he always had a grin on his face and a special kind of humor, end quote. He liked woodworking, fishing, outdoorsy things, and he met his future wife, Krista, at something called the Boston Store, which is a department store in a mall. She was the manager and he was a clerk. They got married on July 31st, 1994. Krista is... I would describe her as having the master status of mom. Master status is kind of like a sociological term. It's like, what do you most describe yourself with or associate yourself with? You may say, like she did mom. I know a lot of people like that. You may say police officer. You may put your occupation there. Whatever it is that you most identify yourself as. And you're going to see as the story is told, that Krista definitely thought of herself as kind of like an earth mother figure. She was mother to her own two sons, but she was just a motherly type who kind of, I guess, acted maternally towards everybody. You might have one, know somebody like that who is just maybe like the office mother, which she was described as, or everybody just gravitates towards too because they're a very loving, caring person. Well, that was Krista. And nobody can describe her as well as her best friend. Her name was Jane. And they were so close, the families were, that Krista's kids actually called her Aunt Jane. And there's nobody better to describe Krista than Jane herself. So this audio clip is from the sentencing, and it's one of the DAs reading a letter from Jane. So let's hear that. So last week, I had the pleasure and the opportunity to meet with Krista's best friend of 38 years, Jane. And I just spoke to her very candidly, tell me about Bart and Krista. And she shared some really interesting and I think important things. She shared that Krista was a staple in her life, a sister in every way except for biological. She was the aunt to her daughters. She described Krista Halderson as having a lightness about her, that when she'd walk into the room, you would just feel happier. She was bubbly. She was a helper, wanted to always fix people's problems. 
Krista was described by her boss at work as the work mom for everything. She was the person you went to if you needed Tylenol, a hug, or a pep talk. She listened to people and cared about people. She went out of her way to lift people up. She was the type of person that, you would, that would make you feel happier after you talked to her. The title that was most important to Krista was that of mom. That was her identity. Being a mom was her purpose in life. She was the type of mom that had bins where she saved her kids' Legos for the grandchildren. She had meticulous bins in her basement, each one perfectly labeled with no dust on them, were organized and labeled their awards, their Eagle Scout journey, and various paraphernalia and photos. Jane said Krista was a joy and a blessing. Bart was quieter. He worked hard and he provided for his family. He was up for quite a big promotion right before his murder. He liked the outdoors, nature, fishing, and his family. He was redoing and in the process of renovating his entire house, nearly down to the studs. He had recently built a brand new dining table um, made pure wood, um, which he had hoped that they would use for the rest of their lives, celebrating the holidays with the grandkids. He was close with his older brother, Brett, and his parents, who are both still alive. Bart is described as generous, doing little things to take care of people. Jane pointed out that every time he was in Milwaukee, he would always take her daughters out when they were in college for a free meal with their uncle, Bart. So these are people who lived for their kids. Their older son, Mitchell, at the time of this crime was 25. He was engaged to a girl named Caitlin, and they were living in their own home together. He worked as a technical service representative, like an IT person, at Epic Systems, which makes healthcare software. He went to college. He was a hard worker. Our defendant, Chandler, or Chaz, as his family called him, and yeah, I'm going to make fun of him for that, because when you think of Chaz, you think of a preppy brat, and that's exactly what he was. So he deserves to be made fun of as much as possible. Chaz was 23. Him and Mitchell were not really that close. Well, they were 18 months apart, so they were close in age, but they weren't, like, close as brothers. At the time of the crime, Chandler was enrolled in MATC, or Madison Area Technical College, which is a two-year vocational college. He was studying IT. He wanted to be like his brother, you know, have a, a career in computers. He had been supposedly, notice how I stress that word, attending this college for three years, most of which time was online. And one thing we're going to see about Chandler is he is a pathological liar. So, I will tell you exactly what is true and what is not. And there's a lot that's not. And these are the words of his own defense attorney, Crystal Vera. Chandler lies. He tells a lot of lies. Not only does he lie, but he goes to extreme lengths, if you will, to keep those lies going or to perhaps cover up those lies. That was his very own attorney. So, yeah. Chandler had a girlfriend named Catherine, or Cat for two years. They met when she was 18 and he was 20. They were introduced by friends in 2019. They liked to go out to eat, play with the dogs. They were both really into dogs. They each had two. And dogs, well, his dogs anyway, Izzy and Rizzo. Yeah, I always like to learn dogs' names because for obvious reasons. But in this case, the dogs 
are going to play a role. A couple times you're going to see. They went for walks. They watched a lot of TV and movies. And Kat was of Mexican descent. She was really into embracing her culture. She participated in Mexican dancing. Like she would get dressed up in these cute costumes and dance. And she liked to cook Mexican food for Chandler's family. Something else that will come up, we'll see, will be important in this case, is these two were like in constant communication. They were always either texting, Snapchatting, Facebook messages, etc., etc. And they had this thing installed on their phones. And I think this was through Snapchat. And I don't use Snapchat. I'm too old for stuff like that. But they had their phones set up so that they could check the status of each other. Like they would look on the phone and it would show like a map and it would show where the other person was. And I thought that this was kind of creepy. I just thought I would never do that with somebody. And I thought, well, maybe that's just me. I was just curious. Like, is this something that young people do or was it just these two people? I just wondered. So I asked my best friend who's my age, he's married. If he wasn't married, if he had a girlfriend, would he do this check location thing? And he said the same thing I did. He's like, that's creepy. No, I wouldn't even do that with my wife. So there is some suggestion. And I'm bringing this up because, again, this is going to matter. Kat was maybe a little bit suspicious of her boyfriend. Like, where is he? What is he doing? Is he cheating on me? And she would often ask him to show his face, which means, like, FaceTime him or take a selfie or, you know, let me see where you are, what you're doing. And I don't think it's so much that she thought he was cute and she wanted to be impressed by his cuteness, which he's not because he killed people, is so, is, and I'm speculating that I think she wanted to see, are you where you say you are? We're lucky in this case because it's recent. There's a lot of technology involved. We have doorbell cameras, text messages, CCTV footage. There's all these technological things that say where people are when. And the cops and the prosecution do an excellent job at putting all these pieces together and making the timeline. That's almost down to the minute as to what Chandler did and when he did it. And I'm going to try to use all of these audio clips to present as close to you as I can this timeline. Now, Bart, the dad, graduated from the University of Wisconsin in 1991. He had a BBA from the Wisconsin School of Business, and he was the tax managing director of BDO USA, which is a company that does taxes for small businesses. His LinkedIn profile is very impressive. Like, I would look at that and say, wow, that is an impressive dude. He had a lot of overtime, but during the pandemic, he started working from home more often. And he had an actual office in his house that he would work from. Krista was a stay-at-home mom, which is not surprising because of her motherly identity. But recently, since her sons had grown, she worked as a receptionist at a place called Zembrick Auto. They did auto body and collision. And very important, she was real close to everybody in the office, especially a guy named Dan. And remember that name because he's going to come up later. 
The couple liked to go to sporting events, musical events like concerts, wineries, and breweries. They had a cabin on White Lake, which was like two and a half hours north of where they lived. It was a nice wooden cabin built by Krista's dad, and they liked to go away to this cabin every once in a while. By all appearances, they were a happy, loving, upper-middle-class family. They lived in a nice house. I have pictures of it. You can see it in both indoors and outdoors. In their backyard, they lived on a pond, and it was so nice. It, it's a pretty big pond, and there's all these houses that kind of like back up to it. And it would be so nice to live on water like that. I've always said I would love to live on like the beach or a lake or something. But as you know, we wouldn't be talking about them if everything was really that way. Now I'm going to start this story in May of 2021. Chandler was living at home with his parents, who for all intents and purposes were supporting him. He was supposedly, notice how I stressed that word, taking classes at MATC, which is the two-year technical college I mentioned. Most of the classes he took at home online because this was during the pandemic. Whether he ever actually attended classes at the school, nobody really knows for sure. But he wanted to specialize in something called renewable resource engineering. And this would be like ecology, so-called green things. And he supposedly had a class that had to do with solar panels that he was really enthused about. And he showed his girlfriend, Kat, some of the stuff that he was working on in this class. He, sh he said he loved the idea of solar panels and he wanted to do something in this area. He was supposed to graduate from this school in June. And as I understand it, with this school, I don't know if it was because it was a technical college, a, a two-year, you got a certificate, you didn't get a degree. And he had a couple other jobs. He dog sat. I don't really know for who, but he did. Like for an actual fact, he dog sat. And he told Kat that he was a scuba diver with the Madison police, which is, is very cool. He said that he would be on call. He'd be like, um, you know, I'm on call for the police tonight. They might need me for a scuba diving rescue mission. And a couple times he would be called or he said he was notified and he would disappear. And as it came out at the trial, they had somebody from the Madison police testify. And this person said, Madison police don't even have a scuba diving team. So this was an imaginary job. Another thing he was busy doing was he had supposedly, note that word again, been doing a paid internship at home from like January of that year till, you know, like May or June. And he said these people had never paid him because, and he would have a number of reasons. Something was wrong with the direct deposit. Something was wrong with their payroll department, et cetera, et cetera. His parents were getting kind of irritated, not really that they were tired of supporting his grown ass, but more so they were upset, you know, their son's working at this job and he's not getting paid. You know, like, what kind of bullshit is this here? So since his dad was a financial dude, like he, he worked with money for a living, his dad's like, well, let me look into this and see what the problem is. So when he would get an email from, 
either the people that were connected with this American Family Insurance and or his school, Chaz would forward the email to his dad. He would say, look, I'm having this conversation with these people. Actually, he was having a conversation with himself because he created four different imaginary people who worked for the school and this American family. So there were a total four of them. And I, me- I mentioned that him and Kat would often go out, of course, as boyfriends and girlfriends do, to dinner and whatever. And she would usually pay for stuff. And I think she was getting a little bit irritated with this, as I would be also. Because remember, she is, despite her young age, she was only 20 then. She was mature, much more mature than her boyfriend, I think we could say professional. She had aspirations. She worked as a pharmacy tech. She wanted to be a pharmacist, but she worked full-time and she supported herself. And apparently she supported her boyfriend also. So on May 23rd, Chandler's like, okay, I have to get the paperwork from my school to verify my degree. I need it because I have an interview and this would be either a phone interview or computer interview. We're not sure. But it couldn't be an in-person interview because it was in Florida. And the company was SpaceX. This was Elon Musk's aerospace manufacturing company. And according to what I found on their website, they hire very few people. Most of their jobs require a minimum of a bachelor's degree. Many of them hire, you know, masters and PhDs. So the thought that they would hire some dude with a two-year technical school degree is kind of stretching it, but well. So he says the job would be in Titusville, Florida. I don't know if that's near Cape Canaveral, but you know, that's where rockets take off from. So Kat starts looking at places there for him to stay. She's going to move there with him. And he has this interview. He told her it went really good, and I have a follow-up interview tomorrow. I think that's kind of, or at least it seems to me, like really quick turnaround. You have an interview with somebody, and you legitimately the next day have a follow-up interview with them. That's pretty impressive. So the next day, he has this follow-up interview. Again, it's with himself, and he says, this one went really good also, and they're going to tell me whether or not I get the job. And I have never, all the jobs I've ever applied for, fortunately, it wasn't that many, but I've never heard the next day. It's always taken at least a few days, a few weeks even, whatever. But literally the next day, May 25th, Kat texts him. She's all anxious for him. She says, tell me. And he texts back, I got the job. So there's this big celebration. Oh my God, Chandler is going to work for SpaceX. This is so cool. This job pays like $70,000, $80,000 a year. We're going to go to Florida. Huge move from Wisconsin to Florida. Yes, please. I'll take it. Really big deal. So she starts looking more online for an apartment for them to live in. Her mom, Dulce, takes Chandler out to lunch to celebrate. She is real happy for him. And of course, Chandler is close to Kat's family. She has a brother named James and her mom is Dulce. Her mom's girlfriend is named Crescent. They call her Cress, and they live together on a farm in the town of Cottage Grove, and this couple, 
Dulce and Cress and their farm is going to play a major part in this story. Now, we're going to jump ahead a little bit to mid-June, and everything seems to be perfect for this family. Chaz just landed a job working for SpaceX. He might be an astronaut, or who knows? The sky's the limit, apparently. Sorry for that. Mom and Dad are doing good until a couple bad things happen. Krista finds out that she has skin cancer, and we're going to hear a little bit more about that later. We don't know too much. Apparently, it was like just diagnosed at this time. And around the middle of June, I don't know if he went to the emergency room, he went to the doctor. I don't really know the situation, but Mitchell, Chandler's brother, ended up staying in the hospital for a couple days over a weekend. He was diagnosed with diabetes, and apparently his sugar was extremely high. And I know from having this in my family, sometimes when your sugar's out of control, they need you to stay in the hospital for a little bit so that they can stabilize it because you can get really sick if your sugar's not regulated. And apparently this is what happened to Mitchell. So he's in the hospital and the whole family, well, his parents are very upset. Crystal was crying. She was pretty much at his bedside, like the whole time, worrying, fussing over him because she's a mom. That's what she does. And we know that she loved her kids. Chandler takes his brother a get-well present, and it's not a typical, like, flowers, a balloon, even a book. What it is, it's a bullet, and it has get-well, either written or engraved on it. And Mitchell's like, um, thanks, I guess. Now, while we're talking about guns, this is important to mention. We already know that Chandler like to make up college jobs etc. But in case you're wondering, well, what did he actually do instead of working and going to school? He mainly played video games. That's right. He sat on his ass and he played games, mainly the multiplayer first-person shooter games. And those are the kind where you talk to the other players in the game. Well, his favorite game was a shooter game called Escape from Tarkov. And while he was playing this game and chatting to people, he made a friend. This friend, who will be important. Whenever I mention a new character or new person in a story, I don't just mention random people for the fun of it. They always play a role. And this guy's name was Andrew Smith. He was in the army. And when Chandler met him online, he was in Germany. Eventually, he went home to Kansas. And... For whatever reason, he found himself near Wisconsin or up north. So Chandler's like, well, why don't you come stay with me? So Andrew went to visit him in Wisconsin, and they hung out. He stayed for a few days, and they had fun. Now, Andrew gave Chandler a gift, and this will be a gun, a rifle called an SKS rifle. This is a Russian-made, I think it's similar to an AK-47 and there is a picture of it in my social media if you want to see it. It's a big-ass gun. The reasoning behind this, Andrew said, was apparently in this game you can pick various weapons. Chandler's favorite was this SKS. So Andrew happened to have one of these guns. Somebody gave it to him. He didn't care for it. And he thought, well, maybe my friend Chaz would like this, so I'll give it to him. And he did have the foresight. I got to hand it to him. Before he gave him the gun, he made a record of the transfer. He put his 
driver's license, Chandler's driver's license, and the serial number of the gun. This will become important. Took a picture of it, kept it in his records. At least somebody here has some sense. So we know that Chandler has this gun. That's mid-June. Mitchell gets out of the hospital. He's okay. I'm sure he's like on insulin or pills or something to maintain his sugar. And it's the following weekend. And it's the middle of the day, maybe about noon. And Bart is home working from his office. His office is downstairs. He's sitting there busily working for real at his computer. And he hears this big boom. And he's like, oh shit, that didn't sound good. So he went to see what Chandler was into because he's the only, only other one home besides the dogs. Chandler was crumpled at the bottom of the staircase like he had fallen down them, which he did. He said, I tripped over one of the dogs and fell down the steps. So his dad's like, oh my God, took him to the emergency room. And the doctor from the emergency room who saw him testified at his trial as to what his injuries were. So let me just play that for you. Uh, my name is Michael Lohmeyer. I'm an emergency physician at the University of Wisconsin Hospital and Clinics. So on June 17th of 2021, did you in fact see a patient named Chandler Halderson? Uh, yes, ma'am, I did. So do you know about what time of day you saw Mr. Halderson on June 17th? Uh, I believe it was around noon. What symptoms did he present with? I believe he was complaining of uh, some pain to his head and his right ribs after uh, a reported fall down some stairs. So what did you do in your treatment? In the emergency department, we have an attending physician who's responsible for all patients that present to the ED. Um, we also have a team of physician assistants who we work with. Um, at that time, my physician assistant went and evaluated the patient first. He came up with a treatment plan. We discussed it. I evaluated the patient afterwards and agreed on the plan. Um, and then got some imaging. What imaging did you get? We got a CT scan, a CAT scan of his head and his C-spine, his cervical spine. And what, if anything, did that imaging reveal? Uh, those images were reported as being negative without abnormality. So he had a physical exam during which the PA and I both did uh, an abbreviated physical exam looking for any signs of injury. We did discuss with the patient a potential x-ray of his ribs because he was having some right-sided chest tenderness. Um, at that time, the patient declined the additional imaging, and uh, I think at the, about that time, we closed the encounter. When somebody comes in and self-reports a fall, maybe has some bruising, um, is there any test that you can do to determine, yes, they have a concussion? No, ma'am. So if I showed up in your ER today and told you, I fell, my head hurts, I hit my head, would I be diagnosed with a concussion? A head injury alone is typically not enough to get a diagnosis of concussion. Um, usually there are some symptoms that go along with it. Um, I have photophobia, so bright lights bother me, loud noises bother me. Looking at a computer screen or a television is difficult. Sometimes people will complain of difficulty concentrating, nausea, some of those symptoms. So generally, it is the combination of a head strike with some other clinical symptoms or complaints that will give a diagnosis of a concussion. And those symptoms, again, are self-report symptoms. That's correct. They're not symptoms that you can actually look at cells or look at imaging and say, yep, you have nausea. That's correct. And what was the, after you did the imaging, what was sort of the take-home plan or continued care plan for Mr. Halderson? 
the take-home plan was conservative management. Um, so we generally have patients with mild to moderate concussions managed with Tylenol, ibuprofen, over-the-counter meds. Uh, occasionally, we'll give a prescription for an anti-emetic or an anti-nausea medication so that they can drink plenty of fluids and stay well hydrated. Um, I believe for this case, uh, the patient had some um, residual neck pain, uh, so he was given a collar to go home with for support with instruction to follow up with his primary care physician and with the spine team that was on call. Uh, is it unusual for you to hand out a neck brace or a neck collar with somebody who says, hey, my neck is hurting? Uh, no, ma'am. It is not unusual at all. Um, and you said a diagnosis of a mild or moderate concussion. And I believe in the notes it reported him as having just a, a CHI, a close head injury, so a nonspecific diagnosis. And you said you had provided a neck collar. What instructions, if any, did you give him concerning that neck collar? Uh, yes, ma'am. So when we have someone with persistent pain but negative imaging, they go home with a what's called a PMT collar. It's a soft collar that gives support to the head and the neck. And in general, they're instructed to follow up with their primary care physician and a spine physician if they're continuing to have pain or symptoms. At any point, did you give Mr. Halderson directions that he had to wear it for a certain amount of time? Uh, I did not specifically give him that information, no. At any point in time during your visit with Mr. Halderson, did you tell him he was going to experience paralysis? Uh, no, ma'am. At any point during your time with Mr. Halderson, did you tell him that he had a brain bleed? Uh, no, ma'am. At any point during your appointment with Mr. Halderson, did you at any point tell him that he had a brain aneurysm? Uh, no, ma'am. Um, at any point did you tell him that he had nerve damage? I don't believe so, no, ma'am. At any point, did you tell him he had a spinal injury? Uh, no, I don't believe so. At any point, did you advise him that he should not fly in an airplane? Uh, no, ma'am. At any point, did you tell him that he should not drive? Uh, I don't believe so, no. At any point, did you tell him that he had a hematoma in his brain? Uh, no, ma'am, I did not. At any point, did you tell him that he would have an inability to use his legs in a normal manner? No, ma'am. At any point, did you tell him because of his mild concussion that he was going to have to have a colostomy bag? Uh, no, ma'am. And just to be clear, that's a bag for poop. That's correct. At any point in time, did you have to drill a hole into his head? Uh, no, ma'am. At any point in time, did you tell him that he was going to have to have surgery where a hole would be drilled in his head? Uh, no, ma'am. No further question. Uh, I'll just tell you, I was playing this on my tablet. And I was looking at some, I was listening to it, and I think I was probably playing a game on my phone. And when I heard something, I would note it down or, or note when I wanted to make a, a recording or something. And you know the part that's toward the end where the DA's like, did you tell him he wouldn't walk? No. Did you tell him he would need a colostomy bag? No. I thought to myself, how is this guy sitting there saying that with a straight face? And I looked at the video and he wasn't he had this big grin on his face like oh my god this is so ridiculous which it is which it absolutely was ridiculous but chandler the faker that he was wore this neck brace all the time and as time goes on we're going to see he develops all these symptoms and i have them all written down we'll talk about them later and we already know he's a pathological liar and the thing with all these symptoms uh, I'll just give you a little headaches, blurry vision, sensitivity to light, dizziness, or what we call presyncope, which means like you feel like you're going to faint. Numbness in legs, 
all of these things are subjective, which means they can be made up. If somebody has a headache, there's no test you can do to prove this person wrong or right, actually. Well, unless maybe they have a brain tumor, then you'd be like, oh, okay, that's why you have a headache. That's a good reason. But most of these symptoms, there's no test to prove the person right or wrong. And I have my own suspicions. I have a feeling that Chandler knew this because if you're going to fake something convincingly, you have to, especially like either a medical condition or a psychiatric condition, you have to kind of know what you're talking about. But we'll get more into this later. So remember, he supposedly just got hired by SpaceX. And he allegedly tells them that he had a serious accident. He had a concussion. He's having trouble walking. He's not allowed to fly. He's not allowed to drive. This and that and blah, blah, blah. So he won't be able to come to Florida as soon as they wanted him to. So his employer, new employer, was generous enough to say, okay, that's fine. You can do your training over the computer from home for a while. But we're not sure how long that we can hold your position open. Because he's supposedly not allowed to fly, which we now know is bullshit because you just heard the doctor say that he told him no such thing, Cat starts looking for buses, you know, Greyhound buses that go to the Titusville, Florida area. Well, Chaz doesn't like this idea of a bus, and he nixes that idea right away. Doesn't specify why, but he just says no, no bus. And according to him, his next doctor's appointment was for the first week of July. Now, something pivotal in this case is going to happen on Wednesday, June 30th. For some reason, Chandler, remember he's 23, he tells Kat that he can't see her for a while because he's quote-unquote grounded. Yeah, I don't know what he did to get grounded. I don't know how you ground a grown-ass man, but anyway, this is what he says. Even Kat is having a little bit of trouble buying this, and on June 30th, we know this drama has been going on for a while with Chandler not being able to get his transcripts or records from his college, which now is of the utmost importance because he's now been hired by SpaceX, and he needs to give his new employer verification that he graduated and his grades and, and transcripts and such. So his dad, Bart, calls the college. He pretends to be Chandler, and it's this phone call that kind of sets everything in motion. The guy he talked to on the phone at the college is named Omar, and Omar testified in court well, he didn't actually testify. What happened was he sat on the stand. They played the recording of the phone call, and that was about it. Nobody had any questions. And I'm going to play this call for you. It kind of speaks for itself. There weren't really any questions to be asked or anything else that needs to be said. And in case you haven't realized, I've been editing these audio 
pieces very heavily because there's a lot of long pauses, ums, and court trivialities and stuff that's just unnecessary. This phone call was actually 15 minutes long, but I took out all the unnecessary stuff so that you just hear the meat of it, the main points of it, but it is very important. And this is, again, it's Bart pretending to be Chandler, talking to a counselor at Chandler's College. So here it is. I'm trying to get an appointment scheduled to meet with somebody to maybe just get a copy of a transcript and also a printed copy of a certificate that was earned and and uh, you know other degree verification. Okay. How, how do how do I get that done? Okay, for the degree, you have to download the duplicate uh, diploma form and send it in with a with a check or a money order of four dollars for the diploma. Can be mailed back to you. For the transcript, you have to go online and request it. Yeah, I tried requesting on online and we never got them. And I've spent I don't know how many times doing that and at eight bucks a piece. So. Not willing to do that again. What, 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 why is that letting you request your transcript? What is it? It's not my system, it's your system, so don't ask me questions like that. Okay, but I need to establish the problem first before I can know how to like walk you through to get it. Are you by a computer so I can walk no. you through and how to get it? I'm going through the process before I worked with, um, you know, I had, I tried to work with Daniel Spike to see if he can get through the information. I don't believe, I don't know if he's with you guys anymore, but it just seems like the ball keeps getting dropped. Okay. I mean, that is pretty easy to request a transcript. That's you what I thought, too, and uh, you just go to the website. doesn't come through. Hold on, let me look at your account first, okay? Okay, what's your first name? Chandler, C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R. Last name is H-A-L-D as in David, E-R-S-O-N. Okay, so it looks like you owe a balance. Well, a balance of $2,349. If you've earned a certificate, say, in that solar program, you said, where does that get requested to? If you earned a certificate? I don't see that you earned a certificate. Uh, there were, there were no, like, you were talking like, you were taking IT classes, right? I don't see that you were in a program. But prior to the IT, there was a solar program, too. Yeah, but I don't see that you, you were... But I don't see that you were admitted in any program. You said they were, you know, it's the IT degrees in there, right? No, those are just classes. Like, you took general education classes and, and then the IT classes. Uh, you might have just took the classes but not be in the program. You have the solar, you took a solar class, uh, physics, trigonometry, physics, and art. But you took some sort of classes, like I said. Yep, you took some classes, but you were not, you were not in it. Did the internship from the spring show up in there? Internship, no. Did it normally show up in there? Yes, if you, if the if internship is part of the curriculum, yes. Do you know, do you have a, uh, an Alyssa Brandt that works in uh, that area or anywhere in the campus? No. How about, does Daniel Spice still work there? No, S-P-E-I-T-H. No, it's not so no. Okay, that should have done. Okay, thank you for your help. I hope you could hear that okay. It was a little muffled at points because it is like a recording of a recording, but 
At first, Bart's irritated. He's mad. And I'm paraphrasing. He's like, damn it, why can't you people get your shit together? This has been going on for so long. And I need my records, blah, blah, blah. And then he finds out he owes $2,000. He's probably a little bit annoyed, but he's like, okay, let's take care of this so that I can get my stuff that I need. So Omar's looking and looking and finally he's like, um, you know, there, there's no record that you had a certificate, which, like I said before, is their equivalent of a diploma or a degree. You can kind of hear in Bart's voice it's slowly dawning on him. And then he brings up the imaginary people, the names and the emails. And he's like, okay, how about this Alyssa, whatever person? Um, no. And he brings up somebody named Dana. And we're like, mm, no, she doesn't work here either. And then I, I think this is the point where it finally hits Bart that he's been hoodwinked. This is all bullshit. And you can kind of hear the resignation in his voice. He's like, oh, okay, thank you. That'll, that'll do. And we can only imagine what he felt like. He probably felt a mixture of anger, disappointment, sadness, embarrassment. Like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? Because he knows now that for probably a couple years, he's been saying that he's going to school. And he's going to graduate, and he finds out that that's not true. So he's probably now wondering, what about this SpaceX job that he's supposedly getting? And he's probably thinking about all these other things that Chandler's been saying. You know, I'm moving to Florida, I've got an apartment. I don't think he ever told his parents about the imaginary scuba diving job. As far as we know, that was just Kat that he told that. Maybe some other friends or people, we we don't know, but I don't think the parents knew about that one. So Bart is understandably furious with Chandler, and he's about to have it out with him. So he tells Chandler that the next day, July 1st at 3 o'clock, they are going to the college and have this out, settle everything. And Chandler knows at this point that his house of cards that he's built, meaning his bunch of lies, is going to come crashing down. And what he does to prevent this or keep up this deception is quite extreme. And if you've been paying attention at all, I think you know what he does. And I think that's a good place to stop for here. Next week, we are going to get more into detail the timeline between July 1st and July 8th, and a little bit of a, a spoiler alert. July 1st is when he kills his parents, and July 8th is when he's arrested. So we have pretty much a detailed record of everything he does on those days. And I have more courtroom audio, some interrogation audio, which is always fun, some news clips, and some other analysis discussion. I don't know if we'll finish or not because there's a lot of information in this case. There's a lot to cover. So I will see you next week. Class dismissed.